0: How's everyone doing today? Good, good, excellent, excellent. So today we are kicking off, like we kind of kicked it off on Monday. This is the first Sunday of our two-week worship journey. So we're at the halfway point. Despite what I wrote in the bulletin, we're at the halfway point. We're going to have worship journey all next week. We're going to close it out next week. Now last year when we did this, we kind of looked at the idea, the question of what is worship. We talked about there's, you know, a litany of different ways to worship. Pretty much everything (laughs) conceivable can be worshiped. This time we want to look at a different question, and honestly maybe even a bigger question, of why do we worship? Why is God worthy of our worship? So to do that, I decided to kind of do do some digging through, like, church documents. So you have what are called Confessions. It's really old, historic church documents. They have a lot of questions in them. But then I found Eco's essential tenets. So this church is an Eco church. And there's this document called The Essential Tenets, which is just a little two-page document, and it's basically, this is what we believe. It's our kind of statement of faith for eco-churches. And this document opens with a pretty simple question. What is the chief purpose of human life? What is that? And so how this document answers it, I think, is really relevant for us today. So it answers it by saying, the great purpose toward which each human life is drawn is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. So in in this, there's kind of two things here. Our purpose is to glorify God, praise God, worship God, because we get to enjoy God forever. We worship out of and because of our salvation. Our salvation is why we get to be with and enjoy God forever. Now, this was... Always God's intended plan was to have us be united forever. We were created for companionship with God. Think of the first chapter of Genesis, first couple chapters. God is walking in the garden, physically present in the garden. But we messed that up. We introduced sin, we were tricked, we were however you want to phrase it. It's because of us that sin was introduced into the world, into creation. Sin was not part of God's original plan. That's on us. God never intended for this to come about. It came about because of us. Because of this, we're now in a state of sin. Sin is all around us. We can't escape it. We can't put it back in the bag. We can't put sin back in the bag and close it up and be like, nope, didn't happen. We can't. Now, because of that, we're all tainted with sin. I like the way Romans phrases it here. Here in Romans 3, as is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who looks for God. They all turn away. They have become worthless together. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Now this sounds really harsh, right? And I, you have to kind of understand this is talking on a larger level, of Yes, we will have moments of individual kindness, moments where we are good. But collectively, over the span of someone's life, there's no one who's good. I think you could say over the course of a day. Most people don't go a day without sinning, right? And so because of this, we can't be united with Christ. God is perfect. And so in perfection, us with sin can't be around God. Sin just gets destroyed when it is with God. The only way for that to be taken care of is for the sin to be destroyed, for the sin to be paid for. God is perfectly just. So that means God just won't hold a grudge. If you've sinned, once that sin is taken care of, paid for, you're fine. It's over. But the, there's a major problem with that. That really prevents us from simply being reunited with Christ, being being reunited with God. And that's that the wages of sin is death. The only way sin is paid for in a perfectly just God is through death. So this sets up a problem for us, because the only way for us to be with God is for our sin to be paid for, to be. Taken account in a just fashion. The only way for that to happen is for us to die. So there's no way we can be reunited with God in this situation. So this set up a choice for God. Does God scrap everything and start over? Or try to fix our mistake? The way I heard it described once that I liked was God spent a long time making a beautiful painting, a beautiful, masterful painting. God poured so much love into it. So much of God's self went into it, right? Or made in the image of God, all of that. God poured so much into this painting. And as soon as it was done, the painting threw itself onto the ground and got oil and paint and everything all over it. So God was have a choice? Do I say, well? that was a good practice round, throw it out, I'm going to make a better version. No. God decided, we're going to clean this. We're going to figure out how to clean this painting to get it back to the way I intended it. And this is because of God's perfect love. God's perfect love would not let God abandon us and start over. And the only way for these two things to be balanced, God's perfect justice and God's perfect love, was through Jesus. I love the way the writers of Hebrews talks about this. This is why Jesus is the only way we can get into communion with God. He, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and the sins of the, and the, sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. I think there's two things here that kind of really stand out. The first one is Jesus interceding for us. We don't often think of intercession in this way. You know, the kind of boring definition of to intercede is to intervene on behalf of another in difficulty or in trouble. In Christian circles, we most often think of this as prayer, right? Intercessory prayer. We are bringing the prayer request, the prayer needs, the something to God on behalf of someone else. That's what we most, most often think about it. We don't really think about Jesus interceding to God on our behalf. But that's what happened. Jesus intervened for us. Jesus reconciled for us. Oftentimes, this word, when used in legal circles, is someone coming in, interceding, and fixing the problem that is causing the difficulty or the trouble, whatever it is. And that's what Jesus did He came in, reconciled the difference, took over that judgment. Now, this judgment just couldn't go away. God couldn't say, like, well, all right, you sinned, but it's okay, we're just gonna kind of ignore it and move on. Because that's not just. And God is perfectly just. So, someone had to intervene and take that justice. And Jesus was able to do that because he was perfect. Only someone perfect could fully intercede, fully take this justice. You know, this passage talks about high priest. And this is getting at the idea that there was systems in place for things to intercede for us, for our sins. There was a system of something could be substituted, could take the death for your sins. None of them were perfect. None of them were able to intercede for all of us forever. Until Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Jumped in and interceded for all of us. All of us. It's only a perfect person. God would have the authority, the right, to make this kind of intervention. And so this this is why we worship. We worship because God did not let our mistake cost us everything. We worship because God decided to try to save the painting. God didn't think of us as a first draft to throw out. My mom used to always joke that kids were like pancakes because I was the oldest. Kids were like pancakes. The first one always gets messed up. You kind of throw it out and, and you get it right for two and three. That's not what God did for us. God decided to save the bad pancake. We're the bad pancake. And God said, no, I'm, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. And God did this himself. God's self. God sent Jesus to take care of that, to take this intercession for us. So that's why we worship. We worship because of God's love. Now I wanna go back to Eko's essential tenets real quick and read slowly through the entire paragraph that kind of talks about this. There's gonna be some like big fancy language in here. Just don't let that freak you out. We'll kind of go through it. Talk briefly about it, but just kind of, I want you to just listen to, I, I think this is a great description of why we worship. So the main question is, what is the chief purpose of human life? Each member of the church glorifies God by recognizing and naming God's glory, which is the manifestation and the revelation of God's own nature. We worship by seeing God's glory, by naming it, by pointing it out, talking about it, singing about it. God's very nature is worthy of our praise, warrants our worship. Because it's that very nature, God's perfect love, that saved us. God's very nature would not let us be thrown away. Each member of the church enjoys God by being so united with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit as to become a participant in that divine nature, transformed from one degree of glory to another and escorted by Christ into the loving communion of the Trinity. We worship God by being with God. Spending time with God is worship. By entering into the love of our triune God, by allowing Jesus to escort us into this family, this community, this divine community. We worship because God wants to be with us. God literally moved heaven and earth in Jesus to make that possible. God literally brought heaven to earth to make it possible for us to be united again. So we confess. Our faith, not as a matter of just passionate intellectual assent, but rather as an act by which we give God glory and announce our membership into the body of Christ. Our worship is not a routine. It's not a payment. It's not something we do out of habit. It should be an excited and a passionate expression of our union with God. We worship because we can announce to everyone that we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the family of God. We can shout that we were not abandoned. We were not cast aside for a, for a different version, a better version. That alone should be why we shout from the rooftops. That alone is worthy of praise. We praise because God chose to love. God chose to love us. When we were unlovable, when we were so marred with sin that it would have been easier to just start over. But God didn't do that. God wanted to be with us. So God took the hard option the option that was going to be a lot more work, the option that was going to be most difficult. God chose that one to spend time with us, to be with us, to walk with us. And so that is why we praise. That is why we worship.